Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. Good morning. So good to see all of you behind this bright and shining light. Um, Pastor Dylan has been mentioning over the last couple of weeks a book that we picked up that's available for, I think it's discounted at $10, Secular Creed. Maybe you've looked at a lot of the lawn signs and it says, in this house we believe this, 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 and this. And uh, in a very politically charged season, this really walks through a very balanced perspective on everything from uh, Black Lives Matter, to Love is Love, and uh, the LGBT community, and it's really, really good um, to kind of hear perspective from somebody that's dedicated their life to engaging those issues from a faith-based perspective uh, without just simply yelling at the other side. And I think that that's a lot of the problem right now that we have, is, is a lot of people are trying to yell their point across on both ends and throwing stones at one another and uh, and uh, I think it was Mahatma Gandhi quoting the Bible says, uh, an eye for an eye, and then he adds, leaves the world blind. And so I felt uh, while we were going through here the need to address um, how to answer political questions just like Jesus. And believe it or not, Jesus answered political questions. And the way that he did it and the, the what, what he accomplished by doing it, I think there's a lesson for us to be learned. But this is going to take the help of God. You have to understand we're not a political or a politicized church. There are people in here who are Republicans, and there are people who are Democrats. There are people who are Libertarians. There are people who are Independents. Um, I've learned a lesson that if you sign up as a Libertarian instead of an Independent, nobody sends you stuff from the Republican or Democratic side because they think you've chosen a side without choosing, choosing either side. But um, what party was Jesus a part of? Was he a Republican? Was he a Democrat? I really think that this is going to be relevant. And let me just say this. I, I, I'm going to revisit this at the end. Uh, first of all, I want to thank every one of you coming out online and watching us here. I know on any given week we could have as many as 86 people. We, we don't count online viewers as a bunch of people, we count them as one, and that they watch all the way through the message. That's how we count, and so we, we don't want to kind of overestimate what we're doing, but that's a lot of people, isn't it? So why don't you just turn around and say hi to everybody online, if you would, all 86. How you doing? Uh, we want to welcome you. You're here, just, you're just through there. I don't know how I'm through the air, but I, I, I want you to listen completely to what I have to share today with your heart and with your head, because I think it is more critical than ever before. Again, I want to say this very clearly, we are not a politicized church. Uh, with the recent ruling of the reversal of Roe v. Wade, I want you to understand something. You get to choose whether you want to follow Jesus or not. You and I do not get to choose how we follow him. He's laid that out very, very clearly for us. But in this room this morning are men 
in a different season of their life who imposed on a woman that they were with who was pregnant into uh, letting go of a baby that maybe she wanted to keep. In this room are people where a man imposed himself on a woman and in a season of their life where they weren't quite sure what to do, maybe thought and was coached to go through that process and is looking back. When I was serving in Rhode Island, there was one of the pastors on staff who was never able to have children because she had gone through the procedure so many times that it was impossible for her to do it. I want you to understand that as a pastor, I just I, I, the, the biblical implication of this, not the political, but the biblical implication of this, um, where God says that he knew us before we were born, where he knit us in our mother's womb, I, I think there's something to that clearly of the sanctity of life. However, I want, I want you to understand something, that right now is not a time to gloat. Right now is not a time to ram down into other people's lives or social media over this issue because it was done through the process of the democracy and the court of the United States of America. And this is what it's actually been like for us that might hold to a view that believes that life begins at conception. And now in the past 48, 72 hours, the shoe has switched feet instantaneously overnight. And there are a lot of hurt people out there. There are a lot of vocal people, but there's always a lot of vocal people. Let me ask you something. Do you in this room or you online represent the people that tried bombing Planned Parenthood? No. I hope not. Does everybody who has a no relationship with Christ and has chosen not to follow Jesus, but uh, believes that this is a terrible upset for the country, does, do they represent anybody who has done violence to the church or smashed windows and spray paint? No, of course not. Those are the extremes of this issue. And what I want you to see in this concept here is the political navigation, because this has been probably one of the most confusing political seasons in the history of the church in our country. We started out with COVID and it was, we have our right and our freedom and some churches chose to exercise that freedom despite anything. Now we took Romans 13 where it says, submit to the governing authorities. And so they had regulations. We followed all the regulations. I said, if Fenway Park was open, but we were closed, that's a different situation, but they weren't asking anything of us. And so we followed with that. And many of you, uh, even some of you still online, have a concern for COVID. There are people that are part of our community, they're watching online that are immune compromised, that are uh, going through chemotherapy. And so that's still a very real issue for them. My, my aging parents have still yet to have ever caught COVID and hopefully not, my father wouldn't survive it. But then we went on to the tensions, the racial tensions that were there. And each step of the way, it's, we could just go back to the election that just took place for the presidency of the United States. And we could jump forward to the upcoming election in November. And I have never seen a time in my entire life where the church has been so politicized and visceral and shouting 
at the other side, I say to myself, we are missing a great moment to be the church. Now notice, I'm not talking about the moral implications. We've set up here, racism is sin. We believe in the sanctity of life. I was one of those people that with that, that overturning, I was like, oh my Lord, this is gonna simplify a lot of people's lives. And, it, and I mean, here's the interesting thing is that the federal government has done what actually the constitution intended. They pushed it back to the states. I can tell you right now, probably all of the churches in the Bible Belt and all of the uh, country, the states in the Bible Belt are instantly putting bans in place while places like Massachusetts, New York, California uh, are going to be the go-to states and continue to exercise that liberty. But you and I have the right to choose whether or not we follow Jesus. We don't have the right to say how we follow him. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you're a follower of Christ, you're subject to what scripture would say to your life. And I think that we're doing a very huge disservice yelling our opinion out loud to a lot of broken and hurt people. And I ask myself, are we on mission and are we making a difference? Are we making a dent in the hearts and lives of people and doing damage to them? And so it was with much prayer and much agony over my personal time off this week, as well as my time in the office of, Lord, how do I address this? Um, I went through a whole bunch of books. Uh, one of them I read a previous time called American Grace. Uh, let me just tell you, the, the cover is pretty good. I'll just give you the one quote I took from it because it's like 600 pages and you don't want to read it. Another great book I want to highly recommend to you is in it, Not In It to Win It by Andy Stanley. It just came out and talks about the political fervor. Now understand what I'm about to share with you now is not ignoring the moral aspects of where we, where we are as Christians, where we believe the right to life is, where we believe uh, racism is wrong, where we believe that that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the politicizing of Christianity so heavy that it's as if to say that if you're a Republican and you're to the right, you're right with God, and if you're a Democrat, you're to the left, and you're not right with Jesus. In this room, there are people who voted for Joe Biden, and there are people that voted for Donald Trump. In this room, there'll be people that will vote blue and people who will vote red. What's happened in our churches is, is that we have taken on the mantle of political polarization so heavily that the casualty is the next generation. And they've been watching us. And they're wondering not if they're giving up on Jesus, but if they should give up on the church because the church has lost its mission of the gospel. And so with this, I want to pray that God would help us. Because for some of you, when I just spoke, the wall went up higher. And for some of you, when I spoke, the wall went lower. But God has something that needs to get through that wall into your heart, and it's going to come from the Word of God, and I believe Jesus is going to give us clarity. Lord, thank you for everyone online. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for those that might listen at a future time. We pray through your Word 
and through looking at what your word means and what you're trying to say to us, that we would see things. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that our thoughts are always right. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. Our ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so your ways are higher than ours. Lord, help us to see how, that, how we can answer political questions just like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I might even do next week how to answer religious questions just like Jesus. Um, but this week, I want to turn to Luke 20, and I'm going to ask you not to turn there because I'm going to read from a different version today, the New Living Translation. I kind of joked around earlier. My first slide was originally in Greek, and I was going to say, we're going to turn to the Bible. Boom. And then, you know, because some people freak out. They're like, wait a second, what about that version? This version's better, and that version's better. Really, the only good version is the original uh, language. And so to make that simpler, I think this, this one captures in our modern English best what the original language says. Luke 20, verses 20 to 26. Jesus is in the temple. His crucifixion is around the corner, and he opens up his mouth, which we have in this book. And if you're not in this book, you are missing out on what it is to refine your life and find the power of God and all the good things that Jesus has for you. Pick it up each day. I encourage you. But he picks it up, and he says this, Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman government so, uh, so, he would be, so they would arrest Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak the truth and what is right and are not influenced by what other think, others think. Have you ever had somebody start off with flattery and you're like, I know this person is not for me? <laughs> so Jesus is no idiot. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now, now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin. So I, I think it's ironic here. Can I just take a jab at the prosperity gospel to say that Jesus, the son of God, had to borrow a coin to make an illustration? Takes a coin, he holds it up. And he says, let me ask you a question. Whose image is on this coin? Whose title is stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. I picture he just flipped the coin back to him. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar's and give to God what belongs to God. So that they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer and they became silent. Jesus, he just walks in and ironically, he just shuts the whole thing down. Do you ever have one of those moments where you walk in and everything's out of control and then all of a sudden you just get the right words and it just shuts it down? Don't you feel great about that? It's like, let me tell you something. This is dumb. You need to stop talking. You're wrong on this, and this is what it is. Everybody got that? Good. Thanks. Okay. Remote control. <laughs> That's family life. Now, here, how do you answer a political question just like Jesus? I mean, this is, this is a political question. And if you have any doubts about this, this is why I want to just take a minute and just go back and let you see what it was like in Jesus's day of what they were really asking him. Watch this. And it just takes a little bit of, of reflecting back. First of all, 
There's a coin. This is, would have been one of the coins. It could have been one of the, it could have been Julius Caesar's image. This is Augustus Caesar, who was right before Christ as well. It could, it could have been Tiberius Caesar, who was the Caesar at that time. They, they all kept the title Caesar, but their faces changed, but the titles remain the same. First of all, how would this coin be a problem to a Jew? Ten Commandments. No idols, no images. There's an image. Every coin that the Jewish people ever had never contained an image of a person on it. But here they stamp the image of Caesar, who they also, by the way, called Lord and God and King of Kings. And the, the Caesar that was sitting was, listen to this one, was called the Son of a God. So every time Jesus said he was the son of God, he was saying, and everyone who said Jesus is Lord, they were indirectly saying, and you, Caesar, are not, which was punishable by death. So first of all, he borrows a coin. Maybe he had Jewish coins and he borrowed a Roman coin because he just chose not to carry it. But he gets this coin, he holds it up, and he says, whose image is on this? Now go back to when Jesus was born. It says in those days there was a decree out from the emperor Augustus, right? It, in Luke chapter 2, 1 through 3, it says the decree went out that everyone should be registered. This was the first registration that was taking place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. There's some complications there I'm not going to get into, but my smarter friends are tracking on that. But, but here's the thing is, is what I want you to see is that basically the Bible tells us that there was a taxation of the people. And a, a person who was alive at the time of Jesus, his name is Josephus, I imposed his little face in there, right there. He's not one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't even a Christian, he was a Jew. But he comes out and he, he tells us that straight out that Quirinius took an account of their substance to see what they owned and tax it. In fact, there's more word about this. Uh, Taxation, because when Jesus was being born and this taxation was taking place, the, Josephus, the historian, tells us that somebody stood up and said, this taxation is nothing better than, nothing less than slavery. And it says that he exhorted the nation to assert their liberty. And basically what he was saying, we need to start a war against Rome. And he rose up. And in fact, Josephus, this historian who's writing around the time of Jesus, tells us that these people were a dime of dozen, that the land was, of Judea was full of these people, these murderous revolutionaries, that they were uh, seditious to every, anyone uh, and they would even put somebody as a king over them, a messiah. And so every other day, someone was saying, I'm the messiah. And they would take that leader up. And then they would take arms. And then they would turn around. And guess what they would do? They would print their own coins. Now, if you're your own, how many of you have Canadian money in your pocket? How many of you hate Canadian quarters when you go to, to any place to use that quarter? Oh, grandma's going to get you a gumball. Oh, Canadian quarter, sorry. That's Canadian quarters for you, you know, or you go to a machine, a game, you know, whatever, you know, just, you can't do nothing with them, right? You've got your own money in the United States of, of America because that money is, is currency in our country. And so if you have currency, you have a country. And so what do they do? They say, Rome's not Lord. God is Lord. We need a Messiah and a King. Take up your weapons. Let's fight and kill and resist and rebel. And then let's print our own coins. In fact, some of them 
after the, after the temple was destroyed, were creating coins with the temple and the Holy of Holies in it as if to say to everybody, if you follow me, I'm the son of the star, I'm Bar Kokhba, and I will bring worship back to where it is. Just get behind me. Lend me your sword. Lend me your money, and we're going to do it. And in fact, his rebellion that took place was so bad, one of the historians said that the blood ran all the way from Jerusalem right to the Mediterranean Sea. I think it was a, about a quarter of a million people were murdered in this, or slaughtered by the Romans in that time. So when they say to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes? They're asking a political question. Do you, do, are you tracking me on this? Do you see the danger of this question? You see, if Jesus says no, he is going to be seen as any other of these people that are around his time that are basically saying, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. And in fact, I am going to start an uprising and people are going to get behind me and we're going to kill Rome. They're asking him a political question that is so loaded that if he answers it wrong, he'll be dead in days. Or in the case when they finally leveraged it against him, he was gone in hours. Now I ask myself, you know, how would Jesus navigate, you know, how does he do this? Listen, Jesus never took political sides. He was not saying, I'm for the Herodians or I'm for Jewish independence. He simply took the side of a coin and said, whose image is on it? And he says, Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's a political issue. And it's his money, his face is on it. But then he says this interesting thing. And he says, but give to God what is God's. You see, a Jewish person, everybody in the room, I want, I want to make you Jewish for a minute. Can we do that? Just do this. Say, aha. All right, that's what happens when you, when you have an epiphany moment. You know, the Greeks said eureka. Americans are like, what? Um, but the Jewish people say, aha, aha. So here's the aha moment. Whose image is on that coin? Caesar's. Whose image is on you? He just went like this. He said, can't trap me, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then he went down the rest, he went to the other guy and he goes, Psh, give to God what is God's. <laughs> I, that's genius. Do you hear him mention Herod or Pilate or, no, he's not getting into that area. He's keeping the main thing, the main thing. He just simply takes a coin and says, Caesar's image needs to be given back to him, but you need to stop manipulating the, your life and your people and give back to God the image that's God. God wants you to be a reflection of the image of how he would act, behave, and oh my goodness, it, how he would speak. Lord, forgive me to say this, but how he would post considering his neighbor above himself. Loving his neighbor above himself. Jesus never supported a political movement. He withdrew from it. He never announced which son of Herod was the rightful heir. He didn't drop down to that. He never suggested how to overthrow Roman rule. He didn't get involved in it. Well, what in the world did he do? He did tons of stuff that shows what 
it would be to totally reflect that image. It says in John 6.15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He wasn't running towards politics. He was running towards living out the gospel and the image of God. So much so that if there was, well, how would, let me ask this question. How would you react if someone said, we want to make you senator? Like, I, yeah, praise God. I can make a big difference. Now, don't get me wrong. I have friends that are in D.C., people that are in politics. One of my mentors, his son, Chris Griswold, some of you know he was working in D.C. His uncle uh, ended up becoming a congressman for New Jersey, and so he was working in D.C. It doesn't mean that politics is a bad thing. Our government, our nation, listen, there's no perfect country that's out there, but I'll tell you what, uh, this is a great country to be a part of, and if you think your freedoms are being taken away from you, you need to go to some of the places in the world like China or Burma. They will look at you and say, your freedoms are not being taken away from you. We just like, as Americans, to say, I'm free. My freedom. I can go to church. <coughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know. Just pick it. Matthew. Look at what he says in Matthew. Now, this is Jesus. I'm, I'm giving you Jesus here. They come up to him and say, let's make you king. And he says, bye. He had to slip away. That's how dangerous the situation was. And it says, and again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, all this can be yours. I'll give it to you if you will but fall down and worship me. See, Jesus had treaded this territory before. He had been down this road before. He had already made up his mind. This was, listen, no man was going to do it. He had already had the ultimate tempter in front of him early on at the beginning, saying, Jesus, the way that you win this world is to own this world, and your father's given it to me for a time, I can give it to you. The only caveat here is, is that you're going to have to compromise your relationship and the image of God by bowing down and worshiping me as your image. And he says, I'm not doing it. That's why when they came to make him as king by force, it was easy for him to slip away. But look at this, John 18. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servant would have been fight my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered into the, uh, over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And at one point he said, I could have sent legions of angels. I could have wiped Rome out. That's not why I'm here. We have been so consumed with Christian America that we have lost sight of the purpose of the gospel is to help lead Americans to become followers of Christ. And we are losing influence because we are politicizing ourselves instead of sacrificing ourselves as a voice with influence and love and compassion. I used to always ask this question to people. People would be like, how many unsaved people do you know? I'd ask you this question. How many people do you know that aren't Christians that know that you are by the way you conduct yourself that call you their friend? If they answer that question makes you have to reach for names, you need to step out of your world a little more and love even greater. Think of this, Mark 14, 48. When they come to arrest Jesus, he says, am I the leader? Am I leading a rebellion? 
that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Whose image is on the coin? That's Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. And listen, when it comes to giving to God what is God, it is Jesus' desire. It was Jesus' suffering on the cross that every single one of us would have a fair shot to be saved, to say it in Christian terms, or to be a follower of Jesus, to know that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could have a fresh start, a new beginning, a clean slate, but not everybody chose and chooses that. You can choose whether or not you follow Jesus, but when you choose to follow Jesus, you cannot choose how that's done. He's been too direct and clear about what that looks like. Jesus' strategy was simple. It was the gospel. To share the gospel, to obey the gospel, to be willing to give his life for the gospel, which he did. And guess what? As the Father has sent him, so he sends you. To share the gospel, to obey the gospel, and to be willing to give your life for the gospel, if so God wills it. We're more concerned about being accepted and heard than we are about being obedient. If Jesus chose sides of the Jews, he never would have healed the Samaritan woman. All these, these tons of these examples in Scripture. If he chose the side of the Jews, he never would have healed the Samaritan or ministered to the woman who was at the well in Samaria who was on her fifth marriage. If Jesus was on the side of the revolutionary Jews, he never would have healed the governor's son or the centurion's servant. If Jesus was on the side of Her- the Herods, he would, ne- he, would ne- he, would, he would have performed a miracle for Herod when he was sitting in front of him, and he would have totally said, hey, uh, let me help you out, but instead the Bible says that he remained silent. What a great political example when somebody's got you on display and they are just looking to trap you by your words. You know what the best thing for us to say is? Nothing. There's... If Jesus were about the politics of this world, he would have taken the Roman throne and changed the world. That's not what he was here for. Jesus wasn't about winning through choosing sides. He was about winning through losing. The cross is a criminal death. The Romans, when the Christians chose the cross as the symbol, they were like, what a loser God. That's like our electric chair. Are you kidding me? And Jesus, instead, what does he do? He comes into the world not to win by taking over the world. Listen, Jesus is a, is, is, Jesus did not, for any of you that are out there that may be familiar with Niebuhr, this is just to a couple of my friends out there, uh, Niebuhr had this theory, he said, There are different ways that you as a Christian can respond to culture. You could say that Christ is for culture. That's Constantine, legalized Christianity. Things didn't go so well. We turned around and then the very things that Rome was doing to the church, the church did to to pagans. And there's a lot of, uh, of stuff, although it freed up the gospel, it politicized it, it created problems. Then Jesus is... If he's for that, then maybe he's against culture. Those are the crusades. 
That's a pretty bad, if it, I never use the word crusades when I'm in the land of Israel because even to this day, it makes every single Jew and, and Arab friend that I have cringe because it, it's seen as a horrible season over there. And maybe we say, well, Jesus just ignores culture. I'm not saying that Jesus ignored culture. So the only thing that we have left by this guy Niebuhr who wrote this theory about how the church is supposed to be in the world is, is Jesus makes everything in culture Christian. He Christianizes it. He changes culture. And here's the problem with Niebuhr. Niebuhr's incomplete and he's wrong because Jesus didn't come to embrace culture and he didn't come to reject it. He didn't come to ignore it and he didn't come to change it. He incarnated into it. Do you track that? You see, you and I are not here necessarily Unless you have a very specific mission, unless you are the, the, the next William Wilberforce and you have a, a, a call to politics and a call to Christ and you think that God is calling you to do a major change, which most of us don't, really at the end of the day, we're not called to ignore culture, embrace culture, hate culture, all that. What we're called to do is incarnate Jesus into it and show the love of Jesus in culture, to be the living example of what the love of God looks like to both sides. Here's the important point I want you to hear. If I make my religion one that takes a side, it means that in order for me to be here, I'm against you over there. Which means that my mission to share the gospel with that person over there is impossible because I've made them my enemy. Do you see what I'm saying? If you, and this is really, the, that book is a great book, not in its win it, because if I say I'm for this faction of government and I'm a Christian and this, this group is the Christian group, right? And this group over here, these are the people that are like leftist and they're crazy and they're nuts and they're, they're this and they're, 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 they're the blue crew and they are totally the enemy and they're trying to destroy everything. Right now, I've completely, as a Christian, me, me as a pastor, you as a Christian, us as a church, we have totally become ineffective and the whole reason why we're here is to make a difference, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and we have identified so heavy over here and said that these people are so much over there that we've lost the mission that maybe perhaps there are people that see things differently than we do that are standing over here here, or maybe that are actually, Lord forbid, believe it or not, in this church that stand with a different perspective over here than you and I, so that through that tension, that the truth and the love of God can be found in the middle. If you only surround yourself with people who agree with you, you never grow. You just get a lot of people saying, amen. It'd be one of those churches, right? You ever see where everyone takes their hankies and they're like, amen, amen, pastor, amen, amen. Jesus wasn't about winning through choosing sides. He was about winning through losing. Here's, here's a beautiful question that was just asked recently, or actually a challenge that was put out by a pastor. He said this about a, a couple of years ago. He said, it, right when COVID started, he said, I want every single one of you in the, in the church, and I'm going to ask you to do this, but in a different way. Every one of you in the church to write out a one-page story of what history will record of you during this time. He said to everybody that was in the church, he said, I want you to write your own personal story of how you want to see the story of COVID lived out in your faith, lived out in your life, lived out in your home. 
And many of us, when we went through the season of COVID, actually, it's not the story that we necessarily wanted recorded. It was filled with fear. It was filled with anxiety. It was filled with, with terror. It was actually filled with us making decisions based off of fear that actually pulled us back instead of moved us forward. Uh, some of us cast it off restraints and looked down at anybody that didn't do it except the way that we thought. And then other people were angry at everybody. I re, you know, the, the police department, we, we were friends with them and they had to arrest a couple of people in front of Walmart early, or uh, I'm sorry, Market Basket early on in COVID because they were punching people in the face who didn't have masks on. That's how hostile they were to it. They were punching people in the face. And there were so many churches that said, bless God, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do that way. And we're like, we're going to do it according to 1 Corinthians 13. Submit to the governing authorities. Is Fenway open? No. So we're going to do it. Well, New Hampshire's open. We're not in New Hampshire. If we were in New Hampshire, well, we'd have done it differently. But I wonder how much damage was done by the in-your-face kind of response that we had. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of New Hampshire. Our, my friend's child said, you can't spank me, this is Massachusetts. And they looked at him and said, we're only a mile away from New Hampshire. <laughs> All right. But as your pastor, I want to challenge you to go home and write out a story of how you want to be seen as Jesus, the only Jesus that somebody might see in this world, through the recent overturn of Roe v. Wade, through the upcoming elections, through your social media, and say, how would Jesus post? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? You see, you get to choose, if you want to follow Jesus, what you're not allowed to do is choose what the how looks like. Because he's made it very clear to love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's something I want to show you. In the time of Jesus, one of the teachers had his comments written down. And he says, therefore, a single man was created in the world to teach that if any man takes a life, Scripture says that it's as if he has caused the whole world to perish. And if any man saves one life, Scripture says it is as if he has saved the entire world. How many of you have seen Schindler's List? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a worthy view of what Holocaust really is. And they say in there, they say, he, this is quoting the Talmud, they give him a ring and they put it on his finger and it has this on it, whoever saves the world, one person saves the world entire. But then look at what goes on. He says, for human beings stamp many coins with one stamp and all of them are alike, but the king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he, has stamped every man with the stamp of Adam the first and nevertheless not one of them is like the other. What is he saying there? He's saying that while a coin looks like the same person, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Every single one of you contain the image of God in how you look, in how you behave, in how you think. You have incredible potential. And the guidance for living out that image in here 
and through prayer and talking to God vertically and letting his word speak to you horizontally and living it out in the sphere that you live your life in will make us greater for it. You see, I say this to us because I see something happening to those young people that are upstairs right now and to the future of our children that concerns me. See, contemporary religion has become so associated with partisan politics in a way that wasn't the case decades ago. I love uh, and admire Tim Keller. I don't agree with everything about him, but he is definitely a long-distance mentor in my life. And he said it like this, when the church is no longer seen that transcends politics, and when it is no longer united by a common faith that transcends politics, in other words, focusing on the gospel, not on the offices, then the world sees strong evidence that Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx were right, that religion is really just a cover for people wanting to get their way in the world. In other words, he's saying that every single secular philosopher just says all Christians are doing is using their structure to get what they want and selfishly fulfill their desires. Let me bring it down for you in a beautiful, simpler way that Andy Stanley says it. He says, if we allow ourselves to be subjugated to anything other than the gospel, we will look just like other political groups using Bible, religion, politics, and the Constitution to get their way in the world. These last three years was a great moment for the church. And as the church as a whole, I feel epically failed and fumbled a great opportunity to show what it is to be like Jesus. Why? Because if a coin is stamped with the same picture, that means that every single person, whether they have chosen to follow Jesus or not, are made in the image of Jesus, which means that Jesus's command for us as followers of Christ, as people of the gospel, we don't get to define how. Jesus doesn't just say, love your family, love your friends, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, love the foreigner among you, and love your enemies. And I have watched people with bigger platforms than me and bigger names than me lower themselves to behavior and statements publicly that have been divisive and destructive and polarizing and politicized. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor, I cannot have control over the Bible belts or over any other church. I've been given 320 people plus between here and online, 800 that claim that we're church to say that we need to get the gospel back in our lives and to keep the main thing, the main thing. You and I have a thing in this country that other people don't have. That is the right to vote. But what we don't have the right to do is to be grumbling, complaining, divisive, uh, dismissive of people, uh, polarizing the issue. We are to show the love of Jesus Christ and to behave and be like followers of Jesus. Now, Jesus was, was not without his own opinion. Jesus was not without his own perspective. But whenever he brings it to bear, he's bringing it upon the morality of the issue, not on the, the sides of the politics. How does Jesus answer political que questions? How 
can I answer political questions just like Jesus? I learned that God isn't calling me to a political party. He is calling me to reflect the image of the Father and that I'm to go out and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the gospel, not the political party, not the pandering statements, not the humiliating tensions that are created. Listen, we all are, are able to, to bring out the worst of us, and I, I just hate this. I hate the fact that the church has just really done a great job at bringing out the worst of itself in a time that it needed the best of us. Don't hinder the gospel by politicizing it. Bridge people to Jesus. Look at this, Acts 15, 19. Luke, or James, this is James actually, the brother of Jesus, I believe he said this. He said, it is my judgment in Acts 15, 19, it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles, Gentiles turning to God. Do you know how difficult we have made it for people to respect and love Jesus because we were more concerned about our politics than we were about the person who died on the cross for us and what he said we should do, what he said about how we should behave, what he said about how we should conduct ourselves. It's crazy. And Jesus refused to jump into the culture wars of his day, not because he lacked conviction or opinion. This is a great quote from Andy Stanley from that book I was mentioning, not in it to win it. Because if you're in it to win it, somebody loses. If you're in it for him, that's a totally different story. Jesus and you are not without your convictions and your opinions, but Jesus knew that the church takes, when it takes sides, we pose ourselves in opposition to the other side that we've been called to reach. And we make it impossible to fulfill the mission of Christ. Politically associated churches, this is what concerns me about the young people upstairs. We're more concerned, let me ask you a question. It's a fair question, it's a great question, it's not original to me. Are you more concerned about your children's political views or are you more concerned about their faith in Jesus Christ? See, for Jesus, and this again coming out of that book, it was just such a great read. Jesus said the you always takes precedence over the view. Gen Z and millennials are leaving the church like crazy, not because culture has given up on Jesus, but because they believe the church has given up on the mission of Jesus. They call themselves the duns. They said, it's not that I'm giving up on Jesus, I'm just giving up on church because every time I walk in there, it's so politically charged. I'm not hearing about Jesus, I'm hearing about politics. They have marked every single one of us that takes a conservative view. We have watched our culture so become so politically entrenched that we have made it in their minds that if you are a conservative, you're Republican, and you're politicized, and they're not breaking down anymore, is it right or wrong? to be LGBTQ? What does the Bible say? Is it right or wrong to be active in premarital sex? Is it right or wrong for whatever? Are you more concerned about your kids' political views or their relationship to Jesus Christ? And I think a lot of damage has really 
been done here, not by this church as a whole, at least as, as far as this pastor can see, but it's about to get even more heated. And this is why I come back to where we are, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. The gospel's really simple. What is the faith of the next generation worth? Is it worth, what is it worth for your children and your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your friends' children? Are you concerned about your children's political views or their view and faith in Christ? Loving and giving the image of God back. How do we, we, we know what giving to Caesar belongs to Caesar. So yeah, I hate taxes. I actually got a six month extension because I just didn't even want to deal with them. But don't know if you could, you knew you could do that, but you can do it. You get a six month extension. I just was like, and yeah, so, just. so give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. It's not just your time, your tithe, your treasure, your talents. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, I'll become all things to all people that I might win some. Well, that sounds like a really wishy-washy Christianity, Paul. No, 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 no. He's not talking about the moral issues. But he says, I'm not under the law. I'm free in Jesus, but I will totally follow all those dietary laws and all that stuff so that I can, when I visit my Jewish friends, um, I, I will actually be able to have their respect and remove the barriers so that I can talk to them about Jesus. Paul was the kind of person where he said, when I'm out in the world and I'm out there, a Jewish person wouldn't be seen dead with a Gentile, let alone eating a meal with them because all meals were offered up in the temples of some God. But he said to the Gentile, I'll become a Gentile. I'll eat that food. I'm not worried about it because, you know, all things are clean in God. I'm there so that I can tell this pagan person about Jesus. I'll become all things to all people so I can reach some. Do we want to win arguments or do we want to win souls? What does it look like sharing the gospel? What does it look like writing a new story as a follower of Jesus? See, Proverbs 18.2, this is going to sting some of you, but I hope, I hope it, it actually hurts. Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding. They only want to share their own opinions. If this pastor had access to that Facebook post, and I looked through and I began to think about my homosexual uncle and uncle-in-laws, if I began to think about my cousin who is in a relationship with somebody, if I began to think about different people who have different views would, would that be the post I want to show them and, and say, this is the love of Jesus, this is what we look like? Or would it look like we're just simply putting our opinions out there? Now, listen, I could go right now to the people that I just mentioned, and I was looking at their posts just recently, and they're not pretty, you know, basically like I, I'm bacon and I should just fry, you know. But, but I love them. I'm trying to reach them, I'm trying to make an impact in their life. So we, if Jesus was following the MO of politics, he never would have went through Samaria. There's a reason why they avoided it. And she was on her fifth marriage. It wasn't even a marriage because she was with somebody that she wasn't even supposed to be with. And yet when he touched that life with his love 
and shared the grace and the forgiveness that God had, she reached an entire village. Just like Mike said last week, when the demoniac was set free, he went back, he was sitting sane in his right mind. The pigs were more important than the person, but that person went back and told everybody about Jesus. And sometimes I just wonder, are we more worried about being right? Or are we worried about being like Jesus? So I'd like to ask you to do something. This is my altar call for you. If I could, if I knew now what I knew, if I knew then what I knew now, my life would be completely different. But that's really kind of what I'm asking you to do is to write out a one page. How am I going to respond? Just pretending that the, or wondering if the people who you know would be hurt by the stuff that you would say, that you would create a wall between them and Jesus. How would your posts be? How would you, your relationships be? Would you be reaching out? Or are you just going to huddle in a group and surround yourself with people that agree with you and, and make no difference? Jesus died so that the world could live. And we need to remove the boundaries of the gospel. We don't change the terms of the morality of it. But you know what I've come to find? Some people who have a life of LGBTQ, you know how they come to Jesus? They come to Jesus through simple stuff like, God says, honor your mother and father. And then all of a sudden, God softens their heart and gets a hold of them. And then he begins to peel back all of these different layers. Like stop, attack. Nobody was ever saved by the law. They were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's time that we take up the grace of God and we bring that to people. Now, understand me. I am not saying that all of the political tensions, that the moral issues in there, that we ignore that or we don't engage that. No, we, we have to talk about that. If somebody wants to talk to me about something or say, what does the Bible say about? Usually when someone says, Pastor, what, what, what do you think about this? What they're asking me is, is what do I think scripture says about it? And I think I'm finding that it's important for me to say right there first, are, are you a follower of Christ? Any, do you believe in God? Anybody who believes in God must first believe that he is, that he exists. Are we in agreement that God exists? Yes. Okay. All right, then. Let me not share what I think. Let me share some verses with you. And, and I've come to find that most people need to digest stuff. So I'm not saying avoid talking about the morality of things. Jesus didn't avoid the morality of things, but he did not put it in tandem with the politics of his day. And it's time we get back to the gospel. And I can't but help if think that there are some of you here that are like me, that when I talk about this topic, I'm thinking about moments where I said things I shouldn't, posted things that I wish I didn't, opinionated myself in moments that I wish that I just kept my mouth shut. And then also that I had the courage to say and speak to the morality of something in the moment, knowing this is the right thing to say, even though it might actually cause this person to reject. Listen, you can choose whether or not you serve Jesus, but you cannot choose how you follow Jesus and, and live for Jesus because he's prescribed that. And that's, 
That's the morality and that's what we need to talk to. But remember, nobody was ever saved by the law. All the law does is show you what your sin is. And it's at that moment where if somebody is is either hostily saying, well, forget that. I'm not giving this up. I'm not doing this. I'm not stopping that. I'm not starting that or whatever. Hey, you can choose whether or not you want to follow Jesus. But in that moment, it's at the moment where you can say, listen, what if God, through Jesus, what if, what if Jesus could just take away all that guilt and shame, all that weight and burden, all of that hurt and pain? Really, I think it's 42 just millions upon millions of people who have terminated their pregnancies. Do you know what that tells me? There is a lot of emotional trauma and hurt that's out there that needs our love. They don't need our opinion. They need our love. And they need God's perspective and opinion. You see, you can't go back and change the past. You can't. But we can redefine somebody through God's grace in the present and totally change their future through the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll preach a real condemning message next week so you can see that I'm not... Maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you might be thinking, oh my goodness, our pastor has just swung over to be a liberal wolf. Following and pursuing the gospel and answering political questions like Jesus would makes me a liberal, then it's fine. I want to love people. I want to see the, the broken, hurting lives of people who have $500,000 homes and marriages and children and relationships just imploding and collapsing. Find out that there's a God that loves them and knows how to solve their problems, that he's the hope of the world, rather than just telling them what Jesus thinks about the current president, the past president, the political decisions of the court. There's a lot of wounds out there. There's a lot of wounds in here from that issue. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I wish somebody was more concerned as a Christian about the brokenness of my life and that procedure that I had than they were about making their opinion public. Lord, that's what we want. That's what you want. If you want to be like Jesus and save the world through Jesus, through his love, just lift your hand to him this morning. Some of us are confronters and God's going to use that to confront sin. But some of you are empathetic, compassionate people and God's going to use that to grace that. But Lord, we're, we're, not, we're not asking to change the gospel. The gospel is clear that there is no one righteous, not one. But Father, the gospel is also clear that you have not come to establish a kingdom in this world. You said, I've overcome the world and you are coming back to take over the world. Lord, you're not coming back to this world to take sides. You're coming back to take over. You're coming back and you're coming back soon. But until then, we are responsible to love the image of who you are stamped in lives and offer to them a chance, a savior, an out, forgiveness, to, to live out the image of God. They can choose whether they want to do that or not, but they cannot and we cannot choose the how. So Lord, give us courage. Some of us, we're good on the love. 
But when we're asked, what do you think about that? We don't want to say, well, what does the Bible think about that? We don't want to lose people over that. Give us the courage, Lord. There's some of us here that need the courage that when that moment, that window of sharing the gospel is there, that we would have the courage to speak to the morality, but with compassion and with honesty. And Lord, there are some of us, Lord God, that we have a strong prophetic voice, but it's tempted to be legalistic. And we can make a point and miss the person. Would you temper us, Lord? You didn't come to establish a political party in this world. You came to establish the kingdom of heaven, one life at a time, one heart at a time. You didn't come to change institutions. You came to change individuals. We recommit to the gospel this morning. And Lord, we detach, Lord God, from public politics in ways that hinder the gospel that demonize the other side, that put us at enmity with the very people we're supposed to be reaching. And Lord, we thank you for a country where we can privately go and vote. And we exercise that right. But Father, most importantly, help us to establish your kingdom in the heart and lives of people that you've given us influence. Help us to find people. Help us to step out of our circle and reach people with the love of Jesus. Amen. I hope you've heard the heart of God. I hope you heard my heart. If you're confused on that, and one pastor said it like this when he took a similar route with this. He said, I found and find most people are mad at the pastor not because of what they said or did, but what they didn't say or do. They didn't speak out against the president that was voted in. They didn't speak out or speak up on behalf of the the Roe v. Wade. They didn't speak up or speak out on, we've really, really created a platform here where we're like saying, we're gonna, we're gonna do our best to tackle those issues. But know that if we're not doing those things, it's because I personally don't think they're the gospel. But we have to talk about those things. And so I pray that you hear my heart and that most of all, you hear the heart of Jesus for the sake of the people in your world, you can't all just be completely surrounded by Christians. You just can't. And maybe as I step off here, maybe there's some of you here that at a different season in your life, who knows, you could have been a rioter. You could have been somebody who took liberty of Roe v. Wade and you've got hurt. You're not alone and you shouldn't carry that burden alone. In fact, the enemy does his greatest work in secrecy and silence. When you find somebody that you trust and you speak those things, you actually take away the devil's power from them to keep you a prisoner of secrecy. Men, who am I voting for this year? I'm not telling you. That's why the ballot's private. If you're a Democrat, Libertarian, or an illegal alien, I love you. And uh, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Amen. Let's worship. Stand to your feet. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, 
follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you and God bless.